Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I am John Manuel. This Baseball America College podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, they're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on ATECSports.com. ATEC, win every practice. Aaron? Probably the most tumultuous week of the top 25 rankings uh, so far in 2012. And why don't we just go ahead and start at the top. We'll actually talk a little bit about the rankings this week. Last week kind of did a little bit of a mid-major update. This week we're going to talk a little bit more about the top 25 because there was some tumult in the rankings. And I guess we really should start at the top just with the – there was a little bit more discussion in terms of number one uh, than usual this week. But I guess I should – I shouldn't even say more discussion. I think we all put more thought into it, but everybody came into the meeting pretty much agreed that the Florida Gators would remain number one based in part on the fact that in two midweek games they have beaten Florida State. Those are really the only two teams that were kind of in the discussion here. So even though the Gators lost the weekend series to Ole Miss, uh, the bulk of their season in those two head-to-head wins against Florida State kept them in the lead for, for me and ultimately I think for the whole staff. Exactly. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, Florida, first of all, has an impressive body of work, and, and I think it does trump Florida State's body of work because of the quality of their non-conference schedule, uh, winning a series against Fullerton, uh, sweeping Miami on the road. I mean, to start with, those two series, uh, I don't think Florida State has a weekend, really, that compares with either of those. And then even in, in conference play, I mean, the teams that Florida State has played, you know, Duke, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, uh, they do have a sweep of Virginia in there, but Virginia's not an elite team this year. So, um, you know, and then you factor in the two head-to-head midweek wins, and, and I think uh, the balance still goes uh, kind of tilts toward Florida. But uh, you know, it's 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 a discussion worth having because Florida State is awfully good. They're 11-1 in the league now. Um, you know, they certainly, I think. Well, not certainly, but I think they've established themselves as, as, as the favorite in the ACC, I mean, even over UNC. You've got to give UNC a lot of credit, John, I mean, for, for the way that they've played without Colin Moran the last uh, eight days or so. But, uh, you know, Florida State, to me, feels a little more complete and a little more dangerous. I think also Florida State, uh, just the way that it's pitching, I think we, we think that their offense, uh, we know that Florida State has been – very capable offensive program for an awfully long time. And we know they're going to be able to manufacture runs. Uh, they've pitched, I think, better than anyone thought they would pitch this year. They have some nice midweek, yeah. uh, the midweek series where they've really dominated uh, Central Florida and dominated Stetson. Um, kind of shows you the depth of their offense and a little bit better pitching depth because they've kind of inverted their pitching staff and put a lot of their better arms in their bullpen. Um, and you know, obviously led by Ben Casa, their closer. I was I was talking to you know a couple of people this weekend around uh, at the Virginia NC State series I went to between both scouts and uh, the co- the coaches. And you know, Florida State Florida State's kind of same as they ever as it ever was. I mean, it, it is they are who they are. Um, you know, Chris Hart at NC State, who's a uh, NC State assistant coach, former Seminoles player, uh, said that this is a very familiar looking bunch. I think one thing that cannot be underscored is that uh, Florida State's taking advantage of the schedule presented to it. You mentioned it. You know, Virginia's the best team they've played so far, and they and they that's the best baseball they've played this year is sweeping that series, uh, an emphatic win to open on Saturday, and then winning a couple of close games. 
now their schedule going to Georgia Tech and Boston College. You know, Georgia Tech is probably that road series at Georgia Tech will probably be their biggest challenge in this first half. Uh, either that or going to Wake Forest, where I think you know, Wake Forest is probably about as good as Georgia Tech in some ways. Not quite as good in others, but I mean, uh, unfortunately for the Yellow Jackets, those are comparable series. I think a little tougher to go to Georgia Tech. And at Boston College, where really the weather will probably be your biggest adversary in terms of talent, Florida State much better than BC. And they're home to the U uh, in conference play. I'm just sticking with that. And then they're home again to Maryland at Clemson at home to NC State. The toughest series they have left in my mind, Aaron, is probably that uh, home series against either NC State or Miami, whichever one you want to say. Um, they should win every series the rest of the year in my mind. I think I think they could win every series the rest of the year. I don't think they will. Right. Um, I don't think they know, will. I think thing, they should. They, they'll be favored, I think, in every series the rest of the way. I would agree with that, certainly. I mean, they're number two in the nation, you know, at this point. So it's, you know, I think it makes sense to say that they'd be favored over all these teams. But, you know, at Georgia Tech next week is, is a, like you said, is a big challenge. To me, that's the one that sticks out because Georgia Tech, you know, if it's playing well, if it's playing the way it's capable of playing, is capable of beating any of these teams. I mean, I, I think that team on paper has a lot of talent. Um, you know, and, and, and I watched some of that, that game against Duke uh, this weekend when they, they beat Marcus Stroman. Well, they, they beat Duke when Stroman pitched. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, they George Tech is, is, is okay. I mean, they're, I think they're going to be all right. Their pitching has, you know, it, it's got to come together. I mean, but I thought it was encouraging that, that Buck Farmer pitched well this weekend. I'm going off on a tangent, but I think, I think Georgia Tech is, is, presents a formidable challenge, put it that way, on the road. Yeah, to me, Georgia Tech has uh, the, the, their strengths, besides their weekend starting pitching, um, and obviously Buck Farmer was very good this weekend, and you know, Duke's offense wasn't tremendous, but uh, you know, you, 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 anytime you – it seems like the way to beat Marcus Stroman is to put up a zero against him. And then you know, Luke Barr didn't go deep and didn't get the win, but uh, I think having him in the weekend rotation has been a smart move for Georgia Tech, and, it, and it's worked out so far. But their lineup depth, I think, will test. Uh, Florida State's pitching staff. Um, I, but the, the one thing is that Florida State's real – the strength of that team getting back on Florida State is uh, – we've talked about the, the pitching a lot, but their infield, Aaron, is just veteran, offensive, uh, pretty good defense, and then, of course, James Ramsey on top of it. They, but, but to me, it seems like – talking to people, it's, for other people, it seems like it starts with Florida State's infield, and that's the, the – no, yeah. outside of Ramsey, the number one strength of their club. Absolutely, I think it, you know, I think it's right there in the discussion with Stanford for best infield in college baseball. When you've got, uh, you know, I think Sherman Johnson's an underrated player at third base, a guy who, you know, is a catalyst at the top of their lineup. He's he's just he's gotten a lot of big hits for them over the last four years, and he plays a pretty good third base. Um, you know, Justin Gonzalez has some pop and has some, uh, you know, some some certainly defensive skills and, and arm strength at shortstop. He's become a much more consistent defender at shortstop. Sounds like uh, that. I love Devin. Love Devin Travis. I just think he's an he's just a fun player to watch. Really a spark plug guy. Has athleticism. Has speed. I mean, just just a, just a winning player. A really good player. And then Jace Boyd, you know, is a fantastic defensive first baseman with with some pop. Who's also you know had some big hits for him. So uh, I, I completely agree with you. I think those four guys, uh, in, in addition to Ramsey, you know, are really a key to their success. This team is averaging six-plus walks per game, just noticing that, uh, doing a little yeah. math. Uh, when you mentioned Sherman Johnson, called up their stats and just saw, wow, 36 walks <laughs> for Sherman Johnson. I mean, that's that boy good. 
Um, so Florida yeah. State, and uh, despite the fact that they haven't lost a series all year, two and two versus the top 25. Florida 11 and four. Uh, give the Gators that credit, but uh, looks like Aaron, the Gators kind of could use Carson Whitson back. And it, as deep as their roster is, Aaron, this is a team that's playing several freshmen, even with Josh Tobias injured. Uh, their depth has really been tested so far this year. Yeah, it has been, which is one reason that I'm impressed that they're 24 and four. You know, I mean, they've yeah. they've done this whole thing without a preseason All-American and an unsigned first-round pick it is their Sunday starter. You know. Um, and, and that caught up with them a little bit on Sunday, I think. It would have been nice for them if, if they'd had, you know, a guy go deeper into that game. I mean, Crawford struggled. It's really the first major speed bump, I think, for Crawford. Um, and, uh, you know, their, their bullpen was good enough that it covered it a little bit. You know, Rodriguez came in and gave him four shutout. But, um, you know, in the end, it, uncharacteristic way for Florida to lose with an error. But they had pulled Preston Tucker into the infield as part of a six-man uh, infield situation there, and, and he committed the the throwing error to the plate, um, allowing allowing Bobby Wall to score the the winning run as a pinch runner. But you know, Ole Miss, I think we should talk about yes. it, is, is a team that uh, that you know came into the season. Um, I think we were we were higher on them than most people. We had them what twenty two. I feel like in the preseason and yeah, this is the fact you know, that we had them ranked. I think we were the one. I think we had them yeah. ranked higher than other anybody else had. And I and I was a doubter. I'll admit I was a doubter on the yeah. on the on the, Bulldog, on the Rebels. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's a that's a major sin right there, for John. Yeah, the uh, the rebels. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna be hated to the Magnolia State. You know what? Here's the key to me for. Yeah, you are. <laughs> uh, in fact, I'm speaking of the Magnolia State. I just booked the trip there this week for the uh, the Mississippi Mississippi State series. I'll be in town for that, so that'll be a good one. Outstanding. Um, Members of the Left Field Lounge in Starkville. Is that gonna be in Starkville or in Oxford? It is. In Starkville, yeah. First of all, members of the Left but, Lounge have got to roll out the carpet, the red carpet for you, uh, whether you like them or not. Treat the na- member of the national media well and grill something up. And uh, Aaron, Aaron will even eat tofu. I think you will eat tofu, won't you? I suppose if that's what, if that's what's on the menu, John, then that's what I'll eat. I'm gonna guess. <laughs> I'm gonna guess that there's not yeah, that's much not, tofu that's on, on the menu, menu in the Left Field Lounge. <laughs> 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 Maybe if they were grilling in Charlottesville, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Try to think of so. Well, I probably actually, if they were if they were tailgating at Pepperdine, somewhere on the West Coast would yep. be where you'd find a little tofu. But but Aaron, this Ole Miss team, uh, you're going to be there to see them. And like you said, uh, they're, they're an offensive club. Yeah, they are an offensive club. You know, and uh, we had that feature in Alex Yarbrough a couple of weeks ago, who I think is uh, just a fantastic pure hitter, one of the better pure hitters in, in college baseball. Um, and you got Matt Snyder hitting behind him, a, a really you know physical. Uh, powerful veteran presence. Um, Zach Kirksey's had an incredible year, really an All-America caliber year, kind of coming out of nowhere as, as a uh, you know an upperclassman. I think he's a senior now. And then uh, you know the the key for for Ole Miss to me, John, is is that the pitching has come together. That was the question about Ole Miss coming into the year. We liked their bullpen a little bit. Um, we weren't sure about the weekend rotation, and and I think Bobby Wall has proven that he can be that dependable Friday night guy as as they thought he would be when they recruited. Him, um, you know, he had that kind of ability coming out of high school in Virginia, and, and right. he's, he's lived up to it. And now you've got R.J. Hively, uh, another guy that when they recruited him, you know, out of, out of Santa Ana J.C., um, you know, they had high expectations. He had kind of a disappointing first season there, and, and this year he's put it together. He really has. He's been a, a reliable Saturday guy. And Mike Myers uh, on Sunday has been has until this week has has been pretty good as well. I think he struggled a little bit this week against the Gators, but um, so they've gotten that that pitching they need. 
Um, you know, I think the bullpen with Brett Huber, he's, he's really rounded into form, maybe a little bit of a, a rocky start for him to the season, but lately he's been very dependable. He's got a bunch of saves, and uh, you know, Dylan Chavez generally has been a nice bridge to, to get to him, although he struggled a little bit in one of those games this weekend too. Right. But you know, in general, I think it's a, it's a winning combination. Yeah, they've got a lot of different options with their arms. To me, the thing is they had a pretty interesting recruiting class, and they haven't really had to rely on their freshmen all that much, Aaron. They've, they've been yeah, it's, right. it's an older, more veteran club, and just looking up, because when you did, sent the tracker today, I was like, man, Zach Kirksey, who is Zach Kirksey? And looking him up, and, uh, hey, I guess we shouldn't be too surprised. This guy won the NJCAA uh, home run derby two years in a row when he was at LSU Eunice. So the raw power has kind of always been there for Zach Kirksey, and now he's He's turning it into game power. So uh, it's a team that, like he's, you said, he's a. Go ahead. He, sorry to interrupt, John. He's a five-tool kind of guy, and he just didn't, you know, he needed a little time to put it together and adjust to the Division One level. But he can run, you know, he can throw, he can defend, and he can hit for power. I mean, he's really he, he brings a lot to the table. And boy, he's been hot this first half. It's easy to talk a lot about the Southeastern Conference in the podcast, but I think it's worth doing again because we have five SEC teams in the top 13. And, Aaron, so we've talked about one of the big series, which is Ole Miss winning the series against Florida. Um, the other series, you know, just stick in the SEC West, LSU and Arkansas, SEC showdown, uh, SEC West showdown, and the Tigers sweep the Razorbacks. And I guess what the lesson from this was we ended up tumbling Arkansas down 10 spots. I mean, Arkansas, I think we both really believe in their talent feels like that early season schedule of Villanova, Valpo, Binghamton on your first uh, three of your first four non-conference weekends did not serve the Razorbacks well, Aaron. Didn't feel it didn't seem from afar like they were ready for a series of that magnitude. Yeah, I guess not, you know, and and this was one of those series that that could have gone either way. You know, I watched that game on uh, uh Saturday um, on TV, and, and, you know, that was a very well-pitched game that they could have won, uh, but uh, LSU, you know, made the, the, the big plays at the end of the game, and, and you know, both those those teams p- can pitch really well. We figured that this would be a low-scoring series right. because um, I think those are, those are two of the best weekend rotations in college baseball, but I also thought that LSU had a little bit of an edge on Sunday because of Aaron Nola. Uh, you know, Arkansas decided to move Nolan Sandburn into the the Sunday job this week, and uh, you know because Fant had struggled, and you know I, I just think that uh, LSU um, they showed some toughness here. You know they again they they got the hits late in the game, and and both those games were walk off victories on Saturday and Sunday, and uh, it's I thought coming into the weekend that maybe Arkansas was the better team than LSU overall, and, and they might still be. But right now, hey, they just got swept. You know, I think uh, I think LSU has made quite a statement. I think so. And I uh, this this stat from that weekend really surprises me. I don't know if you wrote it in Tracker, if I saw it in a press release, or what. I just double checked it uh, to make sure my numbers were right. Arkansas hitters drew only five walks all weekend and struck out 40 times. 40, wow. A 40 to 5 strikeout to walk ratio, and coming into that series, it was uh, Arkansas only had 130 had a, had 130 walks as a team, and only 146 strikeouts. So coming in, they've been wow. almost 50-50. I know that we have a lot of confidence in um, you know LSU's pitching staff, but that's where I get the preparation part. That, that maybe the, 
that softer schedule. And in the league, they played Alabama, which is the worst team in the SEC, and they've been at Mississippi State, which is good, but very uh, deplete, injury depleted, um, you know, pitching staff. And I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if Arkansas, like if Dave Van Horn had one thing to do over again, and maybe he would, that, that's what he would do over again. Maybe have one tougher weekend besides just the Houston College Classic mm-hmm. because Arkansas. I mean, I, again, I know we really, really like that pitching staff, um, you know, that they have at, at LSU, and it's a power, it's a strikeout pitching staff. But that's a lot of strikeouts, and that that really just it jumps is. out to me. You just can't win when you uh, when you're just that inefficient on offense. And in Arkansas. You know, coming into the year, we thought would have a much improved offense because they weren't a great offensive team last year. Right. Uh, but we like their talent quite a bit, and and so far, I do think they're improved, but uh, not as much as I really as I really thought they would be. And I wonder if that's going to happen for them. I mean, you know, Dominic Ficcicello and Matt Reynolds, I still think is a great core middle lineup, but yep. it's not Preston Tucker and Mike Zanino, for instance. You know, it's it's. Uh, uh, the guys at the bottom of the lineup need to be better, too. They really do. They need to have more consistent quality at bats. I mean, you look at Sunday's game, uh, and Bates, Bigham, Wise, and Morris, the last four hitters, all all went over for four. So I think that was a big out? factor. <laughs> Probably a lot of strikeouts. Uh, two, four, six. Yeah. No, make that nine. Nine strikeouts for those four guys in, in, on Sunday's game alone. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just uh, it's tough. It's tough to... Uh... I just don't quite understand how you uh, – so that's why Arkansas tumbled. They Not because they lost LSU or got swept. That's part of it. But we had a very big jumble of SEC teams with Kentucky at eight, Ole Miss, South Carolina, LSU, Arkansas. Kentucky probably about as much under the radar, Aaron, I guess, as any team's ever going to be because they are basketball teams in the finals and that's a basketball-praised hmm. university. But I thought that was a pretty impressive weekend series for them. I, I know that Georgia has been iffy this year, and, well, they've been worse than iffy. They just haven't been as good as everyone thought. But that's a talented Georgia club, tough weather-wise, where you, they, teams had to play a doubleheader on Saturday. They, they basically were even on Saturday, a one-run win for one team, one-run win for the other team. And then on Sunday, Kentucky just blew out Georgia and left no doubt that they were going to win that series and jumped on them uh, in that Sunday game. That really impressed me that uh, – Kentucky is able to go on the road in league play and still be for real. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's uh, it, it was impressive. And, uh, you know, I think Kentucky, we, we've talked about their pitching, all those lefties, those power lefties that they have, but this weekend they did it with their bats. And we like their offense, too. I mean, this is a balanced team. You know, yeah. I think we both think that's the case. And um, they won that game convincingly on Sunday. It's It's a... You know, it's a dangerous offense when it's all clicking, and it has been clicking for much of the year, not just because of the, the schedule that they've played. Now they've gotten into SEC, and, and I thought this was, this was a really interesting, fascinating weekend for Kentucky because you know, you're going on the road against, against a ranked team. For the second week in a row, you're on the road. They, right. they, they took care of business against Tennessee last week and improved, you know, feisty Tennessee team. But this was a real test on the road against a, a Georgia team that I still believe will be pretty darn good by the end of the season. Uh, it hasn't happened yet for Georgia. Uh, you know, and it's a little, it's a little vexing probably for, for David Perno because being with him last week, he believes that the pieces are in place there. I mean, he, he still really likes his team. They, j- they just haven't been able to put it together yet, but they're still dangerous, and that's still a great series win, I think, for Kentucky. 
Yeah, I thought so. And uh, you know, even the game they lost, they were down six nothing to Alex Wood and put a six spot yeah. up in the seventh and tie that game. Right. Um, so right. Kentucky's got some feistiness in it and a great uh, matchup, a showdown, however you want to put it, next weekend. Uh, back in Lexington, we'll see if uh, people there will pay attention uh, or if they the riots continue if they win tonight. Um, <laughs> when uh, with Ole Miss coming to town, uh, that could get interesting. Um, Aaron, and then one other SEC team I think we should talk about before we talk a little Pac-10, um, Auburn, Auburn Tigers. You wrote about them last weekend. I guess it was either in streaking or three strikes. You write so much. Strikes. Strikes. You write so much, it gets hard to keep it all straight, um, which is a credit to you. But uh, the Auburn Tigers start off the year with the you know series loss to Mizzou, series loss at Arizona, which certainly does not look bad. More on that in a moment. Uh, the, their tournament at home where they lost to, to Purdue and to Old, uh, Southern Miss by a run apiece. But in league play, three straight series wins, and we rewarded the Tigers by bringing them into the top 25. We have to go on the road the next two series, but it's at Alabama and at Vanderbilt, and the way the Commodores are playing and, and the fact that Alabama is 9-19 and 19 in the league overall. Those are winnable series, Aaron. Uh, yeah. How has Auburn turned things around, and why are they tied for first place in the SEC West? It's a combination of things. They have gotten strong work from those young um, weekend starters, first of all, and it, it is kind of constructed a little bit like Florida State's pitching staff, where they've got, with the exception that Auburn has a, a you know a veteran guy at the top of the rotation with Derek Varnador, but after that you've got uh, you know young guys in the rotation with Will Kendall and Daniel Coger. Um, they're really excited about about Coger, especially as, as a you know future ace, I think, for that staff, but. Uh, they decided to, to build their staff really around veterans in the bullpen, Slade Smith and Justin Bryant back there. And um, I think that's, Smith especially is, is really a key for them, and that sinker ball guy that uh, has been around. And he's, uh, he, he gave him what, three innings Friday, I think, and three innings on Sunday this weekend. Yeah, so I, he's, I, memory you know, service we did, yeah. So he's, he's pretty darn good. You know, he's, he's a guy that uh, uh, is, is a nice, reliable piece in their bullpen. And then you look at their offense, and – it's a it's an athletic team. It's a speed team. You know, m- much different than you're used to Auburn being constructed. It's kind of like LSU over the years. You're so accustomed to thinking of LSU as this power hitting, home run hitting team, and they're not like that anymore. And neither is Auburn. You know, even in that cozy little ballpark, um, this team is not going to hit a lot of home runs, but they can really run. They've got athletes all over the place, um, and I think uh, Dan uh, Glavinyak at, short, nice. at shortstop has been a key piece for them, a, a junior college transfer that, uh, you know, has solidified the infield defense. I think Zach Alvord um, is, a, is a better fit at third base right now, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's worked out pretty well for them. And I really like Ryan Tellis, speaking of junior college transfers. This Auburn recruiting class was a little bit under the radar, but has, uh, has, has you know, loomed pretty large because they had a lot of places to, to re, pieces to replace. You know, and Ryan Tellis is another one of the junior college guys that has stepped in the middle of their lineup. He's playing a good outfield. Um, he's kind of like a, one of those cheap five-tool guys that can do a little bit of everything. You know, he's kind of a six-seven runner who can throw a little bit and um, got some pop in there. And uh, you know, he's, he's been a, a major addition for them. Sure seems that way. It's the Baseball America College Podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fitt. Uh, want to remind you, it's brought to you, sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. ATEC's committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATechSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on ATechSports.com. ATech, win every practice, 
I will have you know, Aaron, I have gone to atechsports.com, and there's nothing on there about coach pitch tools that are going to help me learn to find the barrel <laughs> of my uh, might league team when I start uh, practice on Thursday. So a little disappointed there that ATEC's not, uh, uh, you know, uh, giving, uh, giving me the training tips and uh, practice drills that I need for my seven-year-olds, but, uh, but I digress. That's going, to be, that's going to be fun this year. Um, a little different. Pick it up and not from T-ball. Uh, I just hope you can hope you can just throw strikes, John. That's the key. <laughs> well, well said. Um, speaking of uh, Texas, how about those Baylor Bears? Let's talk a little Big Twelve baseball before we jump to the Pac-10, because I really feel like SEC, Pac-12, ACC, those three leagues, we cover a lot uh, because they have the best teams in them this year. But the Big Twelve, it still feels like it's A&M and everybody else. But Baylor starting to make its claim, Aaron, uh, even without Brittany Griner. But Baylor started to make its claim to be the second best team in the Big 12. Uh, you know, you've seen them in person, and and now we've seen them really just uh, get off of this ridiculous 9 and 0 start. Part of that again is the way the schedule has set up. But I think that a part of it has got to give a lot of credit to the Baylor Bears. How are they, you know, doing this? Uh, what, what's been the key to their hot streak? You know, they're they're gritty. To me, that that stands out about Baylor, and it's something that I've heard about Baylor from other coaches that you know they've got a spring in their step that frankly coaches aren't used to seeing necessarily from Baylor over the last few years uh it's uh, they play with a high energy level and they've got a nice group of veterans you know I love Mac, Max Muncie and Logan Vick um you know Cal Tui and Josh Ludi all these guys Jake Miller shortstop I mean these are experienced players um and then you've got the weekend rotation with Josh Turley, who's a just a dogged, you know, competitive left-hander on Fridays, who also hits for them and uh, had a big hit for them, I think, on Sunday. Um, you know, Trent Blank has, has been much improved this year. He's had we've talked about his, uh, um, you know, new arm slot a little bit that's helped him out a little, and he's been the he's been good as a Saturday guy. And then, um, you know, Max Garner on Sunday is, is a solid. Solid Sunday guy. I mean, they're, they're not overpowering arms. This this team isn't going to blow you away like A and M can do when they're locked in. Um, I still think A and M is is better uh, all around. Uh, but Baylor's very competitive, and the fact that they're nine and zero in the Big Twelve means you have to acknowledge that they're a, a real challenger for Texas A and M in that league. But um, at the end of the day, I, I do like the Aggies still. Did the Bears? Uh, obviously, they've had a change in coaching staff this year with Mitch Thompson uh, leaving the program. Um, did they change recruiting philosophies at all that you know of in the last couple of years? Because it just feels like they go after the high-end draft, the, the Sean Tollison types, a little bit less than they used to, and they've they've changed yeah. their type of personnel on the on you know on their roster where they've they, they maybe they've aimed a little bit lower and a little bit more at the good college player. Exactly, I think that was a conscious effort. We all remember that top ranked. I want to say 2006 recruiting class when they had Dustin Dickerson and Aaron Miller and, uh, and Tollison and all those guys, and it, uh, it was a big flop. I mean, that's that's what it was. In uh, three years, that, that class did not live up to expectations, and I don't think that Baylor really liked the makeup of, of those teams. And so they wanted to make a concerted effort to bring in these grinder types, you know, and the class three years ago, now it's junior class, to me really embodies that, you know, the – uh, the Logan Vicks and the Muncies and the Turleys. I mean, those guys, when they brought those guys in, you kind of got the sense that they were trying to change the culture there a little bit, and, and, and it's worked. You know, they were in regionals last year. They 
should have won regional last year until they melted down against Cal. They, they turned um, back into but, Baylor uh, at the end of the year. That's, that's the crazy thing. They did. Um, they, they did. They but, turned back into Baylor in that but I think that experience, I think that experience could benefit them. You know, it seems like um, you know, they're a little older, a little wiser now, and uh, um, if they get back into a regionals, you get the sense they're going to be hungry, and they're going to be in a regional. So you know, they're, they're, they're dangerous. They're, they're a good, solid, well-rounded club. We talked about it a little bit last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, but they have the weirdest schedule, these three straight league series at home, and they swept them all to their credit. And they don't have a league series at home at the three games at home. They have three home games left in the in conference play, period, Aaron. Two at home against A&M, one at home against Texas, everything else on the road at Missouri, at K-State, at Oklahoma, and then you know, again, these six games against A&M and Texas, three at home, three on the road, where they kind of split the series with that little 70 to 100-mile triangle between Waco, College Station, and Austin. Um, so the, the toughest part, you know, Baylor deserves credit for what it's done. It's a, it's about to get a lot tougher for them in terms of just the, the conference schedule and having to go on the road. Their experience at UCLA, where they were very competitive, one one out of three, uh, should help them. They have won a couple of road games midweek in this 11-game win streak at Houston and Sam Houston State, but uh, about to take it up a notch for the Baylor Bears. Um, anyone else in the Big 12 sticking out to you? They're a sleeper in this league. It just feels like this league is no one's really kind of outside of Baylor. No one has done has exceeded expectations. Everyone else has kind of lived mm-hmm. up to expectations or yeah. fallen short of them. Kind of disappointed in the Big 12, to be honest with you. Um, Texas, we've talked about it. I just don't really believe in this year and this weekend. You know, right after we 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 had be kind of begrudgingly moved them up to number 18 in the rankings because all the teams in front of them lost last week, and then right. they, you know, they stubbed their toe against Cal, lose two out of three at Round Rock, um, and now they're back down to 25, I think, in our rankings. I mean, I just, you know, I, I'm not really a believer in Texas this year, um, and uh, you know, Missouri, I think, could be a, a fringe regional team. That was one of the last teams in our field of 64 in our preseason projection. I'll have the midseason update this week, and I don't know that I'm going to include Missouri because I just don't see a, a signature series win there. You know, they, uh, it's a team that they, – well, they went to Auburn the right. first weekend and won two out of three. So that's, that's, that's a nice feather in Missouri's cap. And I think that uh, going through conference play, that Missouri team is, is, is gritty enough, you know, a little like Baylor. they got some of that grit, that toughness. Um, they, I think winning the middle game against Texas A&M, beating Ross Stripling was encouraging, and they battled. Old Michael Waka, and they uh, came back from behind on Sunday against that that A and M bullpen, and almost won again. So Missouri is feisty, um, but Texas Tech's been disappointing in conference play. Oklahoma State has been a big disappointment. Kansas and Kansas State are just okay. This league doesn't doesn't do much for me. I'll be honest with you. And Oklahoma has been a little disappointing, even though they've they've kind of righted the ship the last two weeks. Uh, I think it was it's been very encouraging to see, especially Jonathan Gray. Well, I think it's such a key to their season. Um, he pitched well this, this weekend, so he's been up and down, it seems like, throughout the whole year. They need him to, to string together some quality outings consistently. Yeah, to me, like if this league has a good year or not will depend on Oklahoma and Texas. And Oklahoma, outside of that sweep at the hands of Texas at home, Oklahoma's had a decent season. You know, not great. You know, they lost a series at Pepperdine to open the year. Uh, travel curfew involved, all that kind of thing. You know, winning three at New Mexico, that looks better and better every week. Um, you know, Mex- yeah. I guess, well, New Mexico State's having the better year than New Mexico, but 
Um, that that you know they've basically done everything else that you would have expected them to do. It's that one string where they lost with five games in a row: Oregon State, Dallas Baptist, and then that home sweep to Texas. I mean, obviously, of all teams, you're going to get swept by Texas. I mean, that's, that's the last thing Oklahoma's looking <laughs> for. Um, and they, and they play A and M this weekend. So I think we'll really find out a lot about that league this weekend. If if, if Oklahoma can win that series, that turns things back around for the Sooners. Um, by extension, it kind of makes the Longhorns look a little bit better. It makes the league look tougher. But if Texas A&M wins that series, to me, just keep on looking at kind of like Texas A&M and everybody else, and we'll see if Baylor can keep doing it away from home. Uh, it's the Baseball America College yeah. podcast. Aaron, let's talk Pac-12, because obviously the big news in the Pac-12 this weekend was Arizona sweeping Stanford. And I'm not even sure what the bigger news is, that they swept Stanford or that more than 10,000 people came to a Pac-12 series. Um, yeah. Probably the bigger news is that they swept Stanford. But uh, I guess this is kind of Arizona's Dennis Green moment. They are who we thought they were. Yeah, they're good. That's right. They are who we thought they were. And, and they're not a terribly deep pitching staff, you know, which showed itself, I think, in the midweek. Um, midweek, two games against New Mexico State a week ago. And they lost both of those. But they came back and won that road series at Oregon State. I think they're very formidable on weekends. Uh, especially if Kurt Heyer can pitch more like he did on Friday. And, he, you know, he gave up five unearned runs on Friday because they made something like five errors. But yeah. he struck, struck out 11 guys and went eight innings and, you know, kept them in the game. And, and you got to give Arizona credit for storming back with four runs in the ninth, you know, after Mark Appel had, been, uh, had settled in nicely, you know, in those middle innings. <laughs> but uh, Arizona is so athletic. They're, I think they're explosive offensively, as they showed this weekend. Uh, I just love the the lineup with Rickard and Johnny Field and Alex Mejia and Robert Refsnyder and Seth Mejia's Breen, who's been really hot. Yep. Um, you know, all these guys can beat you a lot of different ways. You know, and uh, their freshmen at the bottom of the lineup, Riley Moore and Brandon uh, uh, Trent Gilbert, rather have been have been solid uh, for them. You know, they've basically given them what they need for, for those two freshmen. And then this weekend. The next two days, they got really outstanding pitching from Connor Wade and James Ferris, a couple of complete games to uh, to shut down a very dangerous Stanford lineup. But all of a sudden, Stanford looks a little less imposing offensively. You know, they haven't scored very many runs since they got back from this, uh, uh, you know, the well, really since since the Southern California series, since since the Rice series. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they got break. shut out by Rice on Sunday, and then they came back and they scored four runs, three runs, and four runs against USC. Uh, and then this weekend, you know, they scored four runs over the last two days. This offense has not performed at the level it did early in the season. Yeah, that's the, the, the great timing for Stanford as I write that article about how good their hitters are. So great timing, mm. great timing for Stanford um, to do that. But, I mean, yeah, 11 runs in their first two each in their first two Pac-12 series. That is not going to get it done. The other question to me is, you know, they're four and four away from home. Um, they they played one series before away from home at Fresno State. A lot of home cooking and uh, easy for hitters to get comfortable. Uh, next weekend, we'll see what the weather's like when they go to UW. And uh, they don't have any rings to show UW how the ring looks. But uh, we'll see if they, can, if they can hit. But Arizona this weekend... Uh, pitched better and was more offensive. And, uh, you know, uh, sounds like Mark Appel threw 126 pitches on Friday. That's actually fewer than I would have thought, judging by the box score. I'm going to guess there were some pretty high pitch counts there this weekend. But, you know, Mark Appel, 
uh, start in the ninth inning. To me, the other question I really kind of have for Stanford, Aaron, is uh, you talked about Arizona not necessarily uh, trusting its bullpen. Who's Stanford's closer? Does Stanford trust its bullpen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now, you know, they, they went to A.J. Venegas um, on Sunday after Hawkstadter got in trouble and gave them three and a third pretty solid innings. So I think that was a very encouraging thing. Yep. You need A.J. Venegas. They really need him to be a key part of that staff, you know. Uh, but I think David Schmidt is still probably the closer nominally. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think they've got a shutdown guy back there. And frankly, I feel a little bit better about Arizona with, with Matthew Troop at the end of the game than I do about Stanford uh, at the end of the game. I agree. And then uh, I'm looking more toward the bottom of the Pac-12 teams that aren't in our rankings, but uh, Cal and Arizona State. Obviously, Arizona State's not going to be in the NCAA tournament because of NCAA violations. Um, that'll be a tangent. I'll, I'll, let's talk about Cal first. One and five start in the league, but a pretty nice series win at Texas. Is Cal putting itself kind of back in the regional picture? And, uh, you know, what, what do you see out of those guys this year as they go forward? Yeah. I mean, uh, their schedule seems like it's going to ease up here a little bit. The next three weekends are against non-projected yeah. regional teams in USC, Washington, and Utah. Does Cal have the talent to make hay of those three series? I think so. I think this weekend was huge. They needed this series badly because they hadn't won a series since week three against Lehigh. After that, they split four at Nebraska. They, they got swept by Oregon State at home, uh, and they, they lost two out of three at, at Arizona State. So, you know, this was this was huge for them. And they also, if you remember, they lost the series at Long Beach State back in week two. Um, so, you know, this, this finally gives them some positive momentum. I mean, the thing I, I worry about with them is is Justin Jones. Their, their pitching is too thin um, for them to succeed with Justin Jones giving up eight runs on Friday nights. You know, he's, he's got to be better than that. And he... Uh, he he hasn't had a good year, you know. He gave up uh, what five runs the week before that. I mean, their defense behind him hasn't been great either, I guess. But um, you know, he's he's a key guy for them. He really is coming back from injury. Um, I, I don't think he's I don't think he is what he was before the injury. I don't know if that's a because of you know something physical or, or if he's just struggling. But uh, he's got to be better. I mean, like I said, they don't have they just don't have the pitching depth um, to succeed without him pitching well. And and Matt Flemmer. You know, moving into the rotation has been a successful move. Um, he's been very good on Saturdays. Uh, I do think that their bullpen, you know, they've had some pieces emerge back there. Some of these question marks that they needed. Uh, you know, Michael Theophanopoulos, for instance, is one guy that comes to mind. Joey D'Onofrio. I mean, those guys had to had to step forward for Cal this year, and they and I think they have. You know, so uh, this team is. Uh, I still think they're dangerous enough offensively. Uh, I really like that veteran lineup. You know, Chad Christ and Tony Renda in the middle and Andrew Knapp and uh, you know, Chad Bunting and Mitch Delfino and Devin Rodriguez. These are all, these are all quality players. Uh, uh, so I think Cal can still make a regional run. Next three weeks, they need to really take advantage of that schedule. Oh, Kyrgios Theophanopoulos, Mr. Theophanopoulos, uh, which uh, basically is uh, you know, pretty great name, pretty great Greek name. Uh, first of all, he needs to commit to play for Greece in the European Championships. Come on, Mike Theophanopoulos. <laughs> I mean, you got a bunch of Cal alumni who are running that joint, uh, like Gus Paniotakos and Mike Kutsantonakis, alias Mike Tonus. Come on, join your Cal alumni and go play for Greece. Number two, uh, it looks like he's going to get. He's got a lot of stars. I know he worked out of the bullpen this weekend. I just think it's prescient, Aaron, what you wrote last year in the College World Series and Super Regional preview about Justin Jones. You, Talked to coaches who were like, this guy is not who he was out of high school. He was like an unsigned sixth or seventh round pick. He's probably got a full scholarship. His team is looking for a lot more out of him than 
you know, opponents batting 319 against him. So um, if he's yeah. hurt, he probably needs to take some time off. If he's not hurt, you know, Cal really needs him to pitch better if they're going to uh, kind of reprise last year's impossible dream season. Um, another thing in the Pac-10, I guess, Aaron, that sticks out a little bit to me is uh, UCLA just kind of uh, grinding through things. Uh, the two Oregon teams, you know, or- Oregon, we've talked about those teams. We've talked about Oregon and their pitching injuries. Uh, what, what's with the O State ball is and uh, Oregon? Uh, for, for I guess I'm, I'm bouncing around here, but Oregon State plays UCLA. That's why I brought up UCLA. Uh, who do you like in that series? Not Oregon State. Oregon. Mm. I keep on mixing those teams up. Oregon plays UCLA. I mean the the Ducks seem to be to have enough pitching for weekends, but not enough to win midweek. Uh, kind of handicap that yep. one. How big in the course of the Pac-10 standings is that series coming up this weekend? Yeah, certainly it's important. Uh, Oregon. Uh, boy, I tell you, I didn't expect them to, to sweep Arizona State this weekend after they got swept at Texas State midweek, but you nailed it. Oregon doesn't have a lot of pitching depth, losing those two guys in Tommy John surgery, Cole Wiper and Sam Johnson, before the season started. I mean, that put them behind the eight ball when it comes to those five-game weeks. But uh, they showed a lot of, I think they showed a lot of resilience by sweeping Arizona State this weekend. First time they've ever done that, by the way. I mean, you know, granted they had no baseball for three decades, but right. um, that's that's a that's a notable that's a notable series. This is not this is not your your father's Arizona State team. Now, I mean, it's 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 one of the least offensive and physical Arizona State teams, maybe in a long, long time for sure, and for a long, in a long, long time. But they do have really good arms. They have great pitching. That one-two punch with Freddie Rogers and. Um, Trevor Williams is outstanding. Jake Barrett is, of course, a, a horse in the bullpen. I mean, those are three three big time arms for Arizona State, and Oregon went head to head with those guys and and, and beat them. You know, Alex Cadell, uh, that that wily senior you know, with the with the complete game shutout on Friday. Um, certainly, I love Jake Reed. You know, the freshman from from Southern California. He's been outstanding as their Saturday guy. Uh, and then, you know, Jimmy Scherfe in the bullpen has been key for them, and, and Brando Tester on Sunday, too. So Oregon does have three quality starters. They've got a great closer, got a couple other pieces in the bullpen. I actually like Oregon's lineup okay. I think it's I think it's um, it's come together nicely for them. Aaron Jones especially has, has been huge. He's really had a, a big year for them. Uh, he's a talented guy that's put it together, and Ryan Healy gives him, gives him some thump in the middle. Um, you know, I, I, I like J.J. Altabelli a lot, another underrated player. I think uh, Scott Heineman is a good player. This weekend, I'm, I'm kind of excited about the, the Heineman versus Heineman angle here. Nice. Um, Scott, Scott against his older brother, Tyler, who's at UCLA, who I think is the uh, – you talk about a breakout guy. I mean, boy, Tyler Heineman is a, a fantastic player uh, who uh, you can't run on him, you know, and nobody even tries anymore because he – just shuts down the running game, really receives well. He's a, he's, he hits for average. I think he's up to 400 in the season now. Had a big weekend. Uh, I think he reached base in the last 10 plate appearances, in fact. So um, the Heineman angle, that'll, like be, that. that'll be fun this weekend. But, but I do like I like UCLA at home in that series. You know, UCLA is uh, as, as they're a good team, and they went on the road and swept Utah. Um, I don't know what the weather was like up there, but I'm sure it wasn't Southern California weather. Right. Uh, so you know that's a, that's a nice that's a nice series. UCLA is is just you know like I said before, I think they're a really good offensive team that's solid enough on the mound, uh, probably comparable to Oregon on the mound. So you know that's a, it, it should be an interesting series. But it's a, you know the Pac-10 is fascinating. I agree with you. I think you look at Oregon State. You you, you t- talked briefly about them before. Uh, um, 
they're young. They got great uh, started starts from Wetzler and, and Dan Child and, and uh, Jace Fry, of course, the, the talented freshman. Yep. Um, if those three guys keep pitching like that, they're going to beat a lot of people. Yeah, just feel like Oregon State uh, is going to be, they have been a little, inc- a little inconsistent. I feel like they're going to continue to be a little inconsistent. And uh, but but one thing they do have on their ledgers that 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 sweep at Cal to me just going to stand out so much as things continue for them and they're getting a wounded Arizona State team and uh, that's always a tough always a tough trip we saw how hard it was to go to Arizona for for Stanford just I mean Arizona State doesn't have Arizona's yeah. talent but just that trip uh, in one of the long that's one of the physically longer trips that Oregon State's going to have all year probably is the longest trip and uh, we'll see how that goes uh, and, and go ahead. And it's just a tough place to play. It, yeah. it, you know, I think it's probably the it, probably the toughest road venue in the, the Pac-12. I think uh, so because Arizona State plays so well on its home field. They they you know their ball, their team is usually constructed very well to to play on that fast track. And uh, this year, I'm not sure if it's if it if they necessarily fit that as as well. But uh, it's you know that's that's a tough place to play. It'll be a, it'll be a big series. I agree. And Aaron, let's wrap up the podcast. Um, Talking about some teams that are kind of on the periphery trying to get into the top 25 rankings. Again, we brought in uh, Auburn this week. Uh, there are a lot of teams on the outside kind of looking in that we've thought about. You kind of uh, Texas State, which you know swept those midweek against Oregon, but kind of tough to bring in a 6-6 six and six team in the Southland at this point. New Mexico State. Yeah, after they got swept last weekend by Sam Houston State, that was really what, what is holding Texas State out. Well, right I, I was waiting for you to mention it because <laughs> you mentioned it in the, in the meeting today uh, several times. Louisville, tough to bring Louisville in on a two-in-one week. And also when you beat Vanderbilt, I mean, not Vanderbilt, Villanova. Um, but Louisville still looking good. Still the favorite in the Big East, Aaron? Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, they. I think they clearly are, yes. East Carolina and Coastal Carolina. Boy, Coastal Carolina had a golden opportunity to kind of go by the boards in a midweek game where they had a chance to kind of make a big statement. They blew a 6-2 lead late against North Carolina. But, you know, I've talked to a couple people around here, a couple scouts in the North in this triangle area who have North and South Carolina, and they all say that Coastal is down. Um, that's not yeah. a vintage Coastal team. But they get a big week, uh, win on Friday in a game that was a lot of heat was in on that game, Eddie Butler against Josh Conway. Uh, up in Virginia at Radford, and uh, you know both starters, two of your better, well, the two best arms in the Big South Conference um, went head to head, and uh, you know nice uh, a nice pitching matchup that uh, was won by Conway, but they combined for 15 strikeouts and one walk, the two starters. So uh, that's a that's a good win on the road by Coastal to beat the the best best pitcher in that league outside of their own guy, but they really don't have a signature win, do they, Coastal? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's other than that, you're you're looking at what a single win against College of Charleston. I mean, they beat NC State. You know, they had yeah. a single win against NC State back Point. in the yeah, that, that second, was a game where they were dominated by uh, Carlos Rodon, who struck out ten and four innings, um, and then came out on the pitch count and uh, they rallied against uh, the NC State bullpen. Yeah, so I mean, I, I I agree with the scouts. I don't think it's a vintage Coastal team. I mean, the last few years we've really liked Coastal. Uh, but uh, this team, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's probably going to. They're going to win the Big South again. That's what they do. But right. um, this doesn't strike me as a team that's really a threat to win a regional. And then in Conference USA, we talked about bringing in East Carolina. I think we would have brought them in last week if they won that series against UCF, but they didn't quite pull it off. And now, you know, uh, Southern Miss competitive at Rice, but loses the series. 
it just feels like ECU is the team that has the next best resume outside of the two ranked teams, but just not yeah. quite enough for the Pirates either to poke into the pole, right? That's right. I mean, it, it's a was it a two and two week I think for East Carolina with the, the midweek loss to NC State. Oh, it was a three and one week. They did sweep UAB, but uh, if they had you know coming off a series loss last week. I think if they had beaten NC State and gone 4-0, we would have ranked them. Yeah. But you know, otherwise, I think the, the midweek loss following the following the series loss at UCF and, and then also lost to High Point last week. Um, it, it, like you said, it's just not quite enough. And the same with Louisville. I mean, Louisville had a two and two week. They've been knocking on the door of the rankings here ever since they they fell out. I mean, they've had a pretty good season. They're 20 and seven. Uh, but this week again, two and two. You know, you take two out of three from Villanova at home. That's fine. But are we going to bring you in after that week? I don't quite feel it. And Georgia Tech was another team we had in the mix, three and two. You know, it's nice to win two out of three against Duke, but it's, you know, you'd rather sweep Duke That's and, right. and not not have a midweek loss to Georgia Southern in there as well. Uh, so it's always teams just had a little wart. You know, New Mexico State is another team we're keeping an eye on. Uh, um, they're twenty-two and eight now. They've got some quality wins. We talked about them a little bit uh, in three strikes last week, you know, sweeping two midweeks against Arizona on the road. Uh, they beat Texas Tech, you know, midweek. That's not a great Texas Tech team, but they're not bad. It's a quality, you know, it's a quality win for them. And the three and one opening weekend against Wake Forest looks really nice too. So Mexico State team of interest. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we should probably wrap up the podcast. I will uh, throw in my two cents here, Aaron, on the, the ESPN three games I did this weekend: uh, North Carolina State and Virginia. Yeah, two interesting clubs. Feels like, from my vantage point, you can correct me if I'm wrong. That felt like a battle between two clubs, and I should have said battle in the Ray Tanner vernacular, but it felt like a battle between two clubs that were trying to prove that they could be regional hosts. And NC State won the series. I I guess what I would say is NC State, in my mind, had really no chance to host a regional. Not no chance, but would have really taken a big hit if they didn't win that series. Whereas Virginia, you know, I think has kind of no chance to host a regional unless it really just explodes here down the stretch, and I don't think they have the talent to really go nuts to to host a regional this year. They they do have a a couple good home series coming down the stretch of the, SE, of the ACC. They had a sort of a tough schedule, two tough road trips at Florida State and at NC State, but feels like NC State's got a shot to host a regional now, Aaron, and they I think they have the talent to make it happen. Yeah. What's your take there on on the on the Wolfpack as a potential regional host? I, I think you're right. I think they have passed Virginia, certainly, in the pecking order. Uh, if you're looking at the ACC potential hosts, Florida State and North Carolina are going to host. Yeah. Uh, Miami will probably host, but it's tricky when you start looking at the Sunshine State because you've got Florida, you've got Florida State, two locks to host. You've got Central Florida now, so, and, and then you've got Miami. I mean, are they going to put four hosts in the state of Florida? Um, I don't know when the last time, if ever, that they've done that. Uh, you know, there's their little precedent. I think they had four hosts, I want to say, in the state of Texas last year uh, with, with Texas, TCU, Rice, and A&M, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, so you could have four hosts in one state, but, you know, that's something to, to keep an eye on. Uh, and then, you, you know, Georgia Tech, I still think, could be in the mix along with NC State. And, and NC State won the head-to-head between those two teams. So right. right now, you have to probably put State ahead of Georgia Tech in the pecking order. So, so uh, you're looking at State as, as what, the fourth? Or fifth team uh, to host a regional, certainly, certainly conceivable. It really is. I mean, they. The thing I will 
be eager to see is how the freshmen hold up over the course of the season. And, and I think one point that you made and are going to make in three strikes today is, as a guest strike writer <laughs> is that uh, NC State veterans have have really kind of risen to the occasion a little bit. I mean, it seemed like the, the, the freshmen have made a little bit more noise, but the veteran core is still there. The Andrew Simpsons and the yep. Danny Canellas and these kind of guys, Terrence and May. I mean, uh, some, some players that uh, kind of – Kind of take some of the load off the freshman. Uh, Ethan Ogburn yeah. stepped into that Friday role and gave him a nice start. You know, I think Anthony Samsis has had some has done some nice work for them uh, uh, at times this year. Yep. So um, it, it seems like the veterans, you know, make it so that they're not just relying on freshmen. Yeah, no, you, you nailed it. Uh, that is what we'll be writing today. And I think the big guy, the big key to me and all that is Sensen in the middle of the lineup, and then Ogburn on Friday. And Ogburn was tremendous on Friday. Uh, I think it was. Tied a career high with seven strikeouts, career high, eight innings pitched. Um, the separator for State is clearly their, their freshman talent because Carlos Rodon is – I can't say the words I want to say because we're, it's a family podcast. No explicit tag here. But Carlos <laughs> Rodon is a bad mother, shut your mouth. That guy is really good. Yeah. And the fact that Derek Fisher took him oppo to tie that game on Saturday, that was a, that game Saturday was one of the best college baseball pitching matchups I've ever seen. Uh, with Rodon and Brendan Klein combining for 19 strikeouts and no walks in the first five innings of that game, uh, that was a that was a pleasure to to be there for that game. And I think Carlos Rodon could pitch. <coughs> excuse me, in a, in a regional, if he's if he, he's physical enough to maintain his stuff throughout the season, that's the separator for him. He's not just some. He put it this way, Aaron. I, I didn't see uh, Matt Perk until Omaha. But I think I saw him on TV a couple times that year. I remember watching a lot of Matt Perk his freshman year. Carlos Rodon, in my mind, is better than Matt Perk as a freshman. I know the results aren't the yeah. same. Uh, I think he's better than Matt Perk. I think he's less deceptive, less funk, and firmer, and his slider is better. And Matt Perk's slider was nasty. I think Rodon's is better. There's a little more power. There's a little less deception. I- I'm I'm on board the Carlos Rodon train, which is being, of course, in, uh, piloted, engineered, yeah. whatever, by Nathan Rohde. But, uh, but right, Carlos, right. Carlos Rodon is really good. I think he could be any team in the country. Um, he basically made one mistake. He's got to get better out of the stretch. But out of the windup, that guy, is uh, he hates the batter, and he has the stuff to deal with the batter in any way he sees fit. It's really impressive. And to me, Ogburn and Sensen are the real two big keys for NC State. And then their Achilles heel it's going to be their bullpen. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure if Vance Williams and Ryan and Chris Overman is a good enough bullpen. They really don't have a closer, and that's why Ogburn was kind of in their bullpen to start the year, but I think they need him in the weekend rotation. It's going to be very interesting to see. And then Virginia, um, you know, Virginia's pretty good, but uh, they're just missing that one star they've had in past years, whether it's offense or on the mound. Uh, obviously, they're missing. Uh, any team is going to miss. I think they're missing a lot of stars from last year. Yeah. They just had so much depth last year and, You're and right. quality, depth of quality talent. You know, besides Holson and Tyler Wilson on the mound and Stephen Procia and and uh, you and know Robert Procia, a longtime personal favorite, and and John Hicks and, I believe, and, who, I believe and Will Roberts. I mean, you're right. You're required to say personal cheese ball, not personal favorite, on this podcast. Sorry, you're <laughs> right. I apologize. But yeah, no, you're right. They're missing a lot of stars. Uh, they, uh, can I go back to something you said a moment ago? Yeah. I mean, just about Radon. You were talking about Radon, and, and you know, first of all, I, I think 
I think his uh, his his year so far compares favorably to Perk's year. I mean, he doesn't maybe have the gaudy win total, but right. all the rest of the the stats, you know, the ERA, the the strikeouts are there. Uh, you mentioned you know that that mean streak that he's got. And I tell you, he reminds me, uh, and I haven't seen him in person, but just listening to, to what you're what you're saying reminds me of David Price. You know, David Price had that that yeah. uh, that mean streak. I mean, you know, he wrote. You know, he 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 wanted to go out there. He hated hitters. I like how you put that. And and, and Price, he had that same that same mentality, uh, and certainly the same power. Well, you know, he had power stuff on the left yeah. side, just like Radon has. Yeah. Uh, to me, that that feels like like the comp for for Radon, even though it's, uh, you know, really uh, even the stuff seems fairly comparable. Am you're, I am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. The funny thing is, the difference with all the guys were all the great college left-handers I'm thinking of who are power guys. We should probably throw Brian Mattis in this discussion as well, and this should be a, probably a, a subject for a, a, a history lesson. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but Matt Perk, Andrew Miller. David Price, even Mattis to an extent. These are all tall, long, lanky dudes. Slingers. Slingers and lanky dudes. Mattis obviously was a command guy, but still like 6'4", 6'3", right? Rodon. Yeah, like and, a, you know, he could... Go ahead. You're right. I was just saying, I mean, Mattis, Mattis could run the fastball up there, but he wasn't really a power... You don't think of Brian Mattis as a power pitcher. I mean, maybe he'd, you know, he'd pitch kind of 90-91, maybe bump a 94 at his best, but... Not, not. It wasn't a power pitcher the way Price and Radon are. Right, but so I'm thinking of these these elite college left-handers. Talking about a couple of play, college players of the year, freshman of the year. Yeah, the, this list recently, guys were big draft picks: Miller, Price, Perk, and then uh, you know Mattis. Most of those guys are taller, lanky guys. Even the power guys are more slingers. Carlos Radon's like 230 pounds, uh, maybe two. I think he's listed at 225. Mm. That's the thing that makes me so confident about the rest of the season for him for NC State is that he's physical. He's a beast. He is. He he maintains his stuff. And I'll, I'll we'll finish with this because we've got to go long podcast. I apologize uh, for taking your time and for the listeners. But Carlos Rodon, his he in the first inning he hit 96 on the stadium gun. In the seventh, I don't have my I don't have the pitch count handy. But he had just given up a two-run home run to Derek Fisher to tie the game. And the batter after that, he strikes out. And that last pitch is 96 on that same stadium gun. His stuff is as firm in the seventh, 100 pitches in, as it is in the first. I, I, I had earlier reports this year where, you know, last pitch, last inning, he's touching 97 still. That's the difference to me. Is, and I'm not saying those other guys' stuff waned because I know it didn't. I remember Andrew Miller's stuff was very good in Omaha. Um, but that's the difference to me is that why I have confidence in Rodon going forward. He's physical, and he is uh, – I really – I mean, he was in our backyard. I didn't see him pitch last year in high school. I saw him uh, summer, but I, what must have happened? What must have been wrong with his back last year? He had these back spasms where his velocity was up and down because I don't see how this guy got to, got to school. <laughs> I really don't. Crazy. I don't see how this is not a high school yeah. pitcher who doesn't go super high. How he squeaked through the draft – I mean, NC State, this, I really, I've said it before, there's still some holes. Bullpen, uh, their infield defense, Matt Burquist, was pretty shaky this weekend. Would not shock me if Logan Ratledge wound up being a, their second baseman as this, this year evolved. He got a start in right field yesterday and was crucial to their win. Two big hits, two big RBIs. I think he had four RBIs on the weekend, and he only started one game. Uh, maybe he started two. But uh, they have... Uh, their freshman class is deep. They're, the rest of their lineup, their veterans are solid guys. 
they're pitching. Really, Aaron, you look at their junior class with Canella, Burquist, Chris Diaz, Terrence Anae. They have a lot of the hitters from that class. All the pitchers from that class outside of Ogburn, I think, are basically gone. Uh, Dane Williams, mm-hmm. who was a top 100 guy for us, hurt. Felix Roque, hurt, gone. Ray Cotilla, hurt, gone. There's a guy named Matt Ray Clark who's in that recruiting class, gone. The only junior in that class, pitching-wise, actually I'm pretty sure is, is Zamsis, and even he's had Tommy John. Right. So that class, the holes on the pitching side in that class, that's the Achilles heel for this team right now. If they had a, one or two of those pitchers from that junior class work out in, con, in conjunction with Zamsis, you really have something. I still think that's a dangerous team. But, because of Rodon, I would not want to face them in a best-of-three series. I would not want to see them in my Super Regional. They have to keep doing it, but that's a dangerous club, and it's been fun to actually uh, see five of their games uh, this year and uh, and work it for the television side. And uh, it was fun, and uh, that was a great series this weekend. You've done, a, you've done a great job, too. You've done a great job on TV. Your, your broadcast work was, was a lot of fun to listen to this weekend. And, uh, and and I think that was a great point that you made, too, about the the attrition yeah. um with with those you know that was a that was a highly regarded recruiting class it i think was. it was a top 10 or 12 class the Dane Williams Rakatia Felix Roque group and you're right i, mean, I hadn't really thought about the fact until you just mentioned it that, that all those guys are gone it's it, it's a it's amazing that they have been able to weather that and still be a top 25 team when when they're you know what what should have been their junior class yep. uh is it's just Vanished. Well, to use one of my favorite subheads, we're going to have a little mutual admiration society here because uh, when I sound smart on a broadcast, it's because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. You just have so much information. Your relationships with coaches are so good. We get a lot of information in from scouts as well, and uh, I'm able to make use of all the uh, resources at my disposal here at Baseball America. And uh, I, I love covering college baseball, and uh, I love our coverage of college baseball. So I, we hope you do too. We hope you enjoyed this long podcast. It was brought to you, again, by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. ATEC is committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECsports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on ATECsports.com. ATEC, win every practice. Fitzy, I know you're not going to Mississippi, the Magnolia State, next week. Where, where are you, you going to see next weekend? Uh, we got. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, Cal coming down to town. Isn't that what we said? I think so. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Cal got, UCLA is that? Was that it? Cal is at USC. Oregon is is at UCLA. The Heineman Bowl. That's right. And then we've Heineman got. Bowl, uh, I love it. <laughs> and I'm going to go down and see probably Gonzaga. I think on Thursday down at San Diego. I see Marco Gonzalez. I think he's going to pitch Thursday. So um, should be a should be a fun weekend. San Diego. I like that. I think uh, I think we're going to go see a little Clemson uh, next week. Clemson and Duke. Uh, here in the Triangle area, and I forget there was one other out-of-conference team that was either coming to Campbell or UNC Greensboro. Somebody on my schedule who we were going to see, I can't remember. Who, oh, it was uh, Eddie Butler at High Point. I think we're mm. going to catch a little Eddie Butler on Friday. He's my Butler. Go. Always makes me think. His name always makes me think of Jerry Seinfeld. So, great stuff as usual, Aaron. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in for the Longish Podcast. We'll talk to you next Monday on another Baseball American College Podcast for Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. So long, everybody.